you have fully vacant units on your property that you have mothballed until next semester? If you do, I bet you've thought to yourself, we should list those on Airbnb for game day weekends or for parents visiting their kids. Maybe you're in a college town like Austin or Raleigh or Tallahassee, and your city has large festivals and not enough hotel rooms. You know you could lease those units on a nightly or a weekly basis. Providing short-term rentals on platforms like Airbnb can provide a great source of ancillary income. But it takes some, uh, all right, excuse me, it takes a lot of organization. There's the additional setup of providing linens and coffee makers and all the little things that a short-term tenant will expect. Then there's the regulatory and tax issues that could require additional work. More importantly, there's the time and labor to market on all the multiple platforms, handle the reservations and cancellations, the cleaning, and then there's the bookkeeping. All of this turns into a big distraction from the main job at hand, which is operating and leasing your property. That's where Vector Travel comes in. These guys know the short-term rental industry and they know how to relieve all of those burdens from the property manager. And best of all, they've become experts in how to do that with student properties. They understand the complexity of mixing travelers with college students. They know it so well, they can quickly identify if a student property is not going to be a good fit for their program. So if you have vacant units, reach out to Vector Travel and have them do a free, no obligation assessment to determine if enrolling your vacant units in their program will be beneficial. Go to VectorStays.com forward slash SHI. Fill out a quick form to receive more information. You will also get the first month service fee waived by going to that specific landing page. Again, that's VectorStays.com forward slash SHI. Welcome to the Student Housing Insight Podcast, where we are putting you in touch with the people who bring student housing to life. I'm your host, Wesley Dees, and today I am joined with two just absolutely miraculous folks as co-hosts, Jen Cassidy and Erica White. Hey, Wes. Hi, Jen. Thanks for having us, Wes. Well, we're all uh, about a week out from returning from from the Interface Student Housing Conference. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that. You guys had some important announcements there as well. So uh, that was one of the main reasons I wanted to get you on here and have you do the intro, but just kind of the conference overall, what did you guys think? Um, I thought the conference was great. I felt it was very well attended. Uh, In comparison to last year, I felt the focus was more on the future and what's actually happening in our industry as it relates to just the progress we're making in diversity and inclusion, as well as, you know, important conversations like centralization and consolidation that we're seeing across the industry. I think last year we were all very focused on what does it mean to our industry to come out of the pandemic? What's going to happen in capital markets? What are we going to see with transaction volume? And so much of that has now kind of proven itself out. So it was great to talk about the future and what we really think is going to happen. Uh, It was great to network. And I'll say it's interesting. You know, we talked about the great resignation 
throughout the last two years, but we've seen so many people within our industry move around. And so just reconnecting with people and understanding where they are now and how those roles are going for them. I definitely enjoyed it. Uh, Erica, I know this is your first time at the event with CA Ventures. You were with Pivotal before that. What, What were your thoughts? I really enjoyed the conference this year. To Jen's point, I felt like the previous year when I came in as a supplier, you know, it was all about networking. I felt like people were a little cautious because we were coming out of a huge pandemic. So I think a lot of people were trying to figure out how do we maneuver this situation? It's the first in-person conference that we're seeing people. And I feel like this year people were a little bit more comfortable, really excited um, coming in with CA Ventures and Student Living. It was it was nice to have, you know, the team there. Everyone was all together. So it was definitely a different pace, but so exciting to get to network. Um, I agree with Jen's point. I felt like the sessions were really diverse. A lot of the content was just really progressive, like she mentioned. And I felt like people were really bold. And so I really enjoyed getting to see everyone and get to hear, you know, where we're going as an industry. I really enjoyed it. It was nice. Yeah. I, you know, this this is what I love about conferences. You know, (laughs) you could, you can go to this conference and never attend a a single session and get a good idea of, of what it was like. (laughs) And I remember the very first interface I went to, you know, I think I was already, uh, I think I was already, no, I think it was a VP of ops when I went and, and for the company size that I was with at that, at that time, it was basically a glorified regional manager. I mean, let's be honest. And, I thought the content was pretty good. And, you know, what I was really amazed at, at that first interface was just kind of the bigger picture of the industry. You know, what's happening on the finance side, what's happening on the, you know, the investor side. And so that was kind of, that was eye opening. And then I remember going back as a chief operating officer and serving on one of the panels. And I'm like, this is the same panel I went to like four years ago and we're saying the same things. And, and so there was a lot of this kind of rewash of, you know, for so long and obviously the pandemic, you know, at least introduced on every single panel, we were talking about, you know, what was happening with the pandemic. And so, yeah, this year it was good to, it it was good to, to kind of get back to, not the re the the rewash of stuff, but actually to get back to, uh, you know, I think what is actively in front of all of us um, as we're, you know, are managing our portfolios. And um, it was, I felt like there was some, you know, there were some new thoughts about things that, that I thought was great. I, but anyway, um, again, if, if you're, if you're in this audience and you're a site manager or a regional manager, you haven't been to an interface conference, I would definitely look at going, you know, just, just for one, it's not something that, and Jen's probably going to get upset with me because all of our managers are going <laughs> to go to, to interface next year, but it is expensive. It is not cheap. It's hard to put into a property's budget, but I don't know, maybe if, uh, you're one of these teams that, hit a hundred percent this, uh, this year, maybe get that, maybe get your ownership group talked into it. But I think it is good if this is, this is a, a career that you're going to make out of, um, or an industry that you're going to make your career out of, and you know, you want to move into other positions. I think it's, I think it's great for that. But anyway, I wanted, as I mentioned earlier, I wanted to bring you two guys in because there were some recent announcements at Interface, 
that I wanted to make sure that you guys came in and shared with with our audience. Uh, one revolves around mental health and May is Mental Health or Mental Wellness Month, and I want to make sure that you know we're we're talking about that. I, industry is stood up in a big way, and, and Jen, you've been a part of that. And I want to I want to want you to share a little bit about that. You did share some, for some of our audiences maybe. Uh, uh, kind of month old news because we did release it at Shop Talk, or you did begin the survey with uh, at, or announce the survey at our Shop Talk meeting. Um, and for those that are hearing the word Shop Talk and you don't, you have no clue what I'm talking about, <laughs> that is the monthly student housing call that uh, was originally started a couple of years ago at the onset of the pandemic and has now evolved. And we're doing a, a lot of things to, to help that out. You can go find more information at shoptalk.info. I would certainly, uh, if you're site level and above, I would certainly recommend that you register for that and and attend as many of those meetings as you possibly can because there's some there's some great insight that's being shared as well as data. So, but anyway, I digress. Uh, let's get back to talking about mental health, Jen. I'm just going to hand it over to you because I think there's. Um, I think there's probably maybe a little bit of history you want to give behind it and how this came to be. And um, I think that's going to be important for our audience to know about as well. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for the platform to be able to share more about this initiative. I think it's something that's going to make a huge impact in our industry. And I'm really excited to get this off the ground. Um, The idea of, of coming together as an industry for a cause like this really came out of the way the industry came together through the pandemic. And so understanding that we could all come together and kind of take off our jerseys and share information for the betterment of our residents and our teams um, and our communities really led to the question of if we can do that as it relates to the business aspects of student housing, what can we do as it relates to the, the wellness and the health of our residents and our team? And so it's it's probably October of last year, um, we noticed at Cardinal just a really significant uptick of mental health related incidents at our communities. And uh, Eddie Moreno called me and he said, you know, there's got to be more we can do to to help here. And so that kind of started an outreach to industry partners to say, hey, can we come together as a coalition and really address this in a meaningful way? And so over the course of a few months, um, American Campus, Core Spaces, and Peak really stepped up and said, hey, we want to help you, you know, get this initiative off the ground. And, you know, big thanks to American Campus. They were pretty far down the path already with the Hi, How Are You project. And so they brought a, a lot of resources to the table for us to be able to really provide meaningful training to our on-site teams, uh, which we think is kind of the beginning of this initiative. But uh, the initiative is called the College Student Mental Wellness Advocacy Coalition. And what we know is that one in four college students reported being diagnosed with a mental illness, and one in five had thoughts of suicide. And up to 44% of college students are reporting having issues of depression or anxiety. Um, In our individual organizations, we've each talked to, you know, our community interns, we're understanding that the challenges for them of returning to in-person learning and balancing working and all of the things that come along with, you know, being in college and balancing responsibilities has truly been overwhelming for them. Um, And so we believe that 
uh, coming together as an industry, we can better understand our residents, encourage open dialogue and raise awareness about the importance of mental wellness and the impact of students on students as they realize their full potential in their college journey. So our first step um, is to launch a survey, which um, will be in partnership with the Hi, How Are You project. Um, and it will determine what we're calling a student thrive index. So it will be the largest survey of college students that has yet to be conducted. We hope uh, with participation from, from most of the groups in our space that we can survey close to a million students to understand what is the state of mental wellness amongst our residents and how can we impact that. And so part of that will be launching an external resource hub that will be available for all of our residents with resources to the American uh, Suicide Prevention Hotline and other um, free available resources that young students can access if they're needing support, if they're in crisis, and just put those resources in front of them before they need them so that as they're moving in, they're aware, you know, they can have a QR code or something that easily allows them to access this. And in addition, uh, launching the survey in the fall to then determine what are the types of events that we want to coordinate to help impact the state of mental wellness amongst our residents. So things like webinars or 24-7 access to on-demand like psych- psychology resources. So a lot of um, big ideas. I think the the index will really help us to determine what can we do that's going to be most valuable. But I think collectively, we've now got 15 groups on board that have registered. And everyone is very focused on the fact that if we can just save one life, if we can make the difference for one person, uh, this initiative will have done its job. So very excited. Um to see the impacts of this in, in this upcoming year. That's fantastic. You know, Bill Bayless uh, announced it at Interface, which I think, uh, you know, when, when you're looking for someone that can, that can really plant a, a flag in the ground and say, Hey, you know, as an industry, we're going to stand by, behind this. It was fantastic to see, you know, Bill take that on and, and make that announcement and, and get everybody on board with it. Is there a website? Is there a URL that's been, saved yet? Do we know what that is or is that still on its way? So there's a link to a survey that that we'll provide. Um, Like I said, there's about 12 groups that have already responded. We had several groups stop by our table at Interface and Express Interest, which we followed up with. So if you're listening and you want to participate and you've yet to register, I'd encourage you to fill out that survey. We will be distributing a website for the companies as a resource hub for the actual coalition. And we'll be scheduling a meeting here probably in the next two weeks to talk about next steps, which survey planning and kickoff will be mid-June. And then we plan for the survey to launch in September, likely after those last West Coast move-ins to make sure that we really capture all of our new residents living in our communities for fall of 2022. Fantastic. Well, yeah, we will definitely put that link in the show notes. And yeah, if you're regardless of the company size, because I know in our audience, we have a lot of, you know, regional operators, you know, that may even just serve in one market. And I, you know, I would really impress upon you folks to, to be involved with this because you could be serving 3000, 5,000, you know, students within your market at your, you know, just within your portfolio. And I think that's, that's so, so key 
you know, we're not, we're not limiting this to just national operators. This is, you know, for everybody to get involved with. So, well, Jen, thanks so much for, for that. Now I want to go over to Erica because, and Erica, I got to tell you, I went to, went to lunch with Whitney Kidd probably six, eight weeks ago. And <laughs> it was myself and, and another gentleman and had basically just kind of sat down and, and we're kind of, you know, catching up because a couple of us hadn't seen each other, you know, for two years. And so we're just catching up on kids stuff and, and everything that goes along with that. And, and what's amazing is we're catching up on this stuff and we live basically in the same town. And, but it, it was literally, you know, two years since we had seen each other. Anyway, we started talking about, Hey, are you going to interface? And <laughs> Whitney said, well, look, you've got to make sure that you come to the women's panel because we've got a big announcement. I was like, well, won't you just tell me now? <laughs> she was like, no, you've got to be there. We're, we're not going to announce it beforehand. You've got to be there. And so I did that. And it was, uh, I was pleasantly surprised and, and just what you guys have taken on to announce this. I thought was just incredible. And I wanted to make sure that our audience got to listen to it or at least have you share with our audience what's going on and what you guys are starting. So with that, let's talk about the W Collective. Yeah, I want to give a little bit of insight to it before I hop right in. So Whitney and I connected and I had a virtual coffee with her and Kayla Meyer, who is the VP of operations at Agency 53. And it's really funny because, as you know, Whitney and I's relationship, we worked at the same property together growing up, like back in college. We went to the same college together. We were even in the same like career path and neither one of us knew it. We didn't know each other. So we always have to mention that um, because we think it's just so funny how everything aligned. But we had this virtual coffee and we were wanting to brainstorm, you know, what can we do? We're all getting reached out to in the industry to provide these resources or, you know, to go to these women in leadership panels or events. And so we just really wanted to harness that power and really focus that energy and effort. And so what we did is come up with the W Collective with a group of just so many powerful women, Jen Cassidy being one of them on here. She is one of our founding members as well. So the W Collective, in short, it's going to serve as a year-round resource and networking forum for women leaders working in student housing. Um, and it's just really going to allow us to promote and identify and educate the next generation of upcoming women leaders. And we wanted to make sure when we were building this initiative that it just it wasn't company specific, but that we were really focusing on things like mentorship, coaching and really just unlocking peer access to resources for women to really be able to grow as leaders. So um, it's a collective of our entire industry coming together um, and we're just wanting to really form, you know, curated content, both in person and at strategic conferences so that, you know, women can offer mentorship, receive mentorship. We want to host things like lunch and learn and really provide strategic methods for women to advance their careers in all aspects. So um, we will be working with allies and supplier partners to sponsor these events for our conferences, but also online. So we have a LinkedIn group that will provide the link here that you 
guys can access. And I always like to mention both men and women are welcome. We want to support and, and showcase our allies and suppliers as well. So we'll drop that link in here as well for you guys. Yeah, guys, they, they actually let me in too. So yeah, um, <laughs> I, but I've got to say, you know, the, the women's panel at Interface, uh, it's been happening for three or four years now, maybe longer. Maybe there were some secret meetings I didn't know about, but uh, you know, I always felt like, okay, well, that's the women's thing. And, and so even when Whitney, when we were at lunch and she invited me to it, I was like, so are they going to let me in the door? <laughs> what? And, uh, and I was glad to see so many, uh, especially the industry executives being there. I think we're a little bit more in the back of the, of the room. Um, but, but being there and being those, those allies, um, you know, for the women in our industry and, and supporting this initiative. And, um, you know, I followed you throughout your career, Erica, you know, you, <laughs> you were a leasing agent at, at a property that I oversaw many, 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 many moons ago. And it's just amazing to, to watch folks like yourself and Whitney become not, not just the women that you are and, and the, you know, the, the mothers that you are, but the leaders within this industry. So thanks so much for, for doing that and giving this platform to all the women in our industry to find a place where they can get some support. I think this is great. Absolutely. Thank you. I do want to have, I do want to give a shout out to our founding members and just kind of call them out for purposes of people to get to know if they have questions or reach out if that's okay. So I want to shout out Ashley Poyer from Peak Made, Lindsey Brown from Campus Advantage, Jennifer Cassidy from Cardinal, Jasmine Harris from Tilden Properties, Whitney Kidd from Rover Score, and then we also have strategic advisors. So we've got Donna Price, Chris Richards. We've got Beth Pender from Campus Advantage and Laura Formica from Homestead Living. Um, we've also got Julie Bonin on there. So any of us that you want to reach out, Jen, did I leave out anyone? I hope not. I was going through that list there, but I think we got everyone. Kayla Meyer from Agency 53. I want to make sure she's on there. So just wanted to shout those women out. They've really put in a lot of work and we're really excited to keep going with this initiative and, and really build upon it. So had to give them a shout out. Well, fantastic. So, uh, you know, I always take a, try to take advantage of, um, of all of these folks being under one roof, you know, for a few days. And so for the past few years, I've started taking my podcast equipment and recording uh, a podcast or two. Um, we just did one on, on this one, but last year we did something a little bit different that we didn't do previously. And I think this is going to be an annual Thing, that this is, you know, kind of the key thing I want to, you know, the topic that I want to do for Interface, but we called it From the Top and it had Donna Price and Alex O'Brien and uh, also Lauren King from Trinitas, uh, basically kind of talking about this past year, what's happened and, you know, kind of their perspective on where they think things are headed. And so I wanted to do that again this year. Uh, again, we called it From the Top. So I wanted to make sure that we were talking to CEOs within the industry, specifically with operators. So we got to uh, got to sit down with Bob Clark from Peak Made, as well as Jim Shoulders from uh, Campus Life and Style, as well as Brent Beltwine from Granite Student Living. Uh, you may not have heard of Granite Student Living. They're a little bit more of a of a regional player, although they did extend into Blacksburg here recently. But 
they're based in in Indiana, and I think that's just a it's a very unique perspective to have. And I wanted to make sure because our audience includes so many regional operators, I wanted to make sure we you know had that perspective as well. And Brent was was fantastic at at providing his insight on that. So with that being said, we'll go ahead and kick this over to that interview. But again, thanks so much for everything you guys have have done this past year and getting these initiatives released. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Wes. Well, gentlemen, welcome to the Student Housing Insight Podcast. We're doing this live remote at the 14th Annual uh, Interface Student Housing Conference in Austin, Texas. This is one of the few times out of the year that we can all get under the same roof and, and have some conversations like this. So it's a great excuse for me to bring my podcast equipment <laughs> and sit down with with leaders in our industry to kind of get their perspective. And that's what I want to do today with you guys. But really quick for our audience, Bob, we'll start with you if you want to introduce yourself and we'll go around the table. Sure. Uh, I'm Bob Clark and I'm the CEO of, of Peak Made. And I actually got into student housing uh, November 2003. And 19 years ago, the sector was quite a bit different than it is today uh, in many respects. But uh, very simply, in 2003, Wall Street really didn't understand student housing. And every conversation started with, what is it? You know, how do you make money in it? Where's the risks? Don't students tear up? The communities, I mean, every- How do you just lease a bedroom? How do you lease just a bedroom? Everybody's frame of reference was the movie Animal House. And so a lot of the conversations were convincing uh, convinced, convincing Wall Street, convincing investors and, and lenders that it wasn't. It was an, a, a good, safe, cash flow asset class. And so Peak Made is headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia. We have- uh, anywhere we flex, our portfolio flexes between 75 to 95 properties, depending upon innies, innies and outies. Um, we have a development business as well, where we develop uh, two to four student housing assets at any at any given point in time. And uh, Wes, thank you for having me. Yeah. Brent? How you doing, Wes? Uh, Brent Gutwein, I'm the CEO of Granite Student Living. And we're based in West Lafayette, Indiana, the uh, flyover drive-through state, if you ever want to pass through. Uh, got into this business uh, kicking and screaming back in 2008. Said I'd stay in for six months, turn things around, and uh, I forgot to leave. So uh, now we have about uh, 10,000 beds and about 100 employees, give or take 10 on any day. Yeah, in dog years, that's 98 years I've been in the business. So. All right. All uh- right. Thanks for having me. This is Jim Shoulders. I am the CEO for Campus Life and Style. I have been in this business for 33 years. So <laughs> I, uh, I started in 1989 as a resident assistant in a privately run residence hall with Alan and O'Hara. Happy to be getting free room and board. And uh, one thing led to another. 13 years on site all over the country, most in the southeast, uh, and then uh, got into the corporate side of things, was with uh, ACC for quite a few years and helped them uh, build their platform there. And then uh, 
We started uh, Campus Life and Style uh, in 2015, started uh, incubating and building our platform and uh, started running the Vesper Holdings portfolio properties in in 2016. So uh, we've grown since then. We're currently 46 properties, uh, 36 owned, 10 third party. Third party is a new thing for us. We've just recently kind of uh, tipped our hat into that in, in a small way. Uh, about 26,000 beds, um, do a lot of value add, a lot of repositioning. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's us. Now, when you got started with Alan O'Hare, because that's been kind of a common theme over the past six months on this podcast is what was Alan O'Hare doing, you know, when, when they started things out in student housing. So were you on one of the, one of the larger, like, tower granville tower kind of yes, thing in, yeah. in chapel so, hill or so i was a student at uh, west virginia university okay. so uh, they had three properties there i was an ra at one of them and then went to be an agm at summit hall uh, you know and bill bayless and i share that as a yeah. as, as a common theme uh and then i did i went down to chapel hill involved with uh with granville towers um okay. did some work uh, with with a and o and and greensboro some third-party work and so most of my time was spent in chapel hill yes sir Gotcha. So, guys, it's we're two years into this pandemic. I think this industry, uh, this sector of the industry, has has weathered it very well. I know in March of 2020, April of 2020, we were all jumping on Zoom calls and talking about you know how things were going with uh, pre-leasing and collections. Everybody was really worried about collections, and I think all in all, we feel really good about how the industry came through that. Sure. Yeah, I just want to get some perspective from from you guys on you know what has stood out within your companies of you know what you learned through that experience and you know any kind of outlook on how you think that's kind of geared your team for the future. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll jump in. I, I think you know the one thing that's good for all of us in this room uh, is that you know kids want in person learning. Right. They want to go to school. And, you know, I heard so many people pontificate about lots of different things during COVID. And one of them was they don't need to go to college anymore because they can do it from home because they were doing it via Zoom. Yeah. And, uh, and and it showed that, yeah, for the most part, yes, there was some tough times and, you know, all kinds of crazy things going on. But the kids are back and they want to be there. And uh, and so I think that's a really important thing. And then and then I think you know, secondarily, it's just, it's just looking back at this time where COVID's kind of winding down and it's that expression, you know, this, this too shall pass kind of thing. It's like, you know, this is one of those, you know, every, you know, a few times in our career type challenges and situations that we all got into. And so, you know, you, you go through it and you look back and you say, you know, it's, it's just so important just to stay grounded and everybody's crazy and all the, all the hysteria and everything that goes on. It's our jobs, you know, as leaders of our companies in the industry to just keep people grounded and, and run our companies calmly through whatever situations we have. So, so Jim, it's interesting. Let me just add, um, you know, I'm, I'm convinced everybody, any leader uh, focuses on, on communication but over the last two years, at least in my view, the communication component as leaders really got accentuated. I mean, if you weren't communicating in a world-class way, you know, absence of any com- communication, people draw their own conclusions. Yeah. But when I look back over the last two years, what I can say from my vantage point uh, within the peak walls 
is I'm so, and I'm sure every operator feels the same way, is it was amazing the resilience that the people uh, on site had. I was in my home office every day. I didn't leave my house for gosh knows how long, but they still had to show had up to. and do yeah. the things that they had to do to provide housing to the residents that, that we, that, you know, that we serve. And their resilience was just absolutely amazing. And what blows me away is how many great things got done across the nation at all the student housing communities when no one was looking. Yep. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's something that we all should be proud of. And then the last thing I'd say is that I think as a sector, it's unprecedented how the sector came together and collaborated. I know you, everybody knows kind of what was going on there, but it's staggering how we came together as competitors and collaborated to make Absolutely. sure that we weren't doing things that, uh, that were against uh, the, broader, the broader benefit of the, of the sector. I mean, a pandemic's not a run-of-the-mill event, right? There's always <laughs> yeah. going to be change. There's always going to be challenges. And I think what we saw internally from an organizational standpoint is the separation of the really stellar people who embrace the challenges and really learned how to pivot and adapt. And then what I call the slackers who kind of latched on to the litany of excuses. Okay? So it really gave us a platform of who we wanted in leadership positions to go to the next level. Uh, so it, it was a great opportunity. Not that I never asked for another pandemic. Okay? Right, right. <laughs> I'm old enough. Maybe we're not going to get there in my lifetime. But uh, it's exciting when, when we when we learn. Yeah. When we really take away what we learned. Well, and I want to I want to stop there with you for just a second because you know both Bob and Jim are you know have got national portfolios and you know there's um, and that consists of a, a lot of different type of product, but. You're a regional operator for the most part, and you know you've even got single-family homes and, and that type of thing. I'm just kind of curious. Through the pandemic, was that product type was it was it easier or harder to manage to lease to? Yes, I, I don't know. I don't know if it was easier or harder. It it, it just it was more market-based. It seemed like more than product-based. More private, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, some of the other markets I've seen where there's, you know, a pretty good footprint of, you know, what we call the shadow market. It right. seems like they did, especially if they had single family home rentals, they did really well compared to, you know, leased up earlier. And I just didn't know if you you'd yeah, experienced I mean, that or not. I mean, we do, you know, everything. And, and, you know, individual leasing probably was more of a challenge than the joint lease products. So I'd say that's probably the biggest separation as far as uh, product type. It's really your, your uh, lease type. I, and I think both of you guys have cottage product in your portfolios. Mm -hmm. Did you guys notice any difference between those assets versus the others? During COVID? Yeah. Not anything that, you know, comes to mind. You know, maybe there was a difference, but nothing. It was subtle if it, if it yeah. was. I gotcha. can't, can't say anything that comes to sp specifically to mind, but we certainly were, you know, marketing the private accommodations and the room to breathe and all that type of stuff for obvious reasons, because uh, that's what people were looking for. And I bet, I bet if you go back a year and a half ago, we all believed that the separation and the COVID impact would have a really long tail. Right. 
I suspect that tail is going to end up being really, 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 really small, real quick. Especially yeah. with college yeah. students, yeah. they don't, they don't yeah. care. Yeah. They didn't care back in the heart of it. They certainly don't care now. Well, my kids definitely did not want to be at home, so they they went back to school. So let's put the past behind us because um, I'm ready to put COVID behind us. <laughs> but start thinking about the next three to five years. You know, we've certainly going through a period of inflation now. We're sitting here on May fourth. Feds just raised the rates. We had a huge announcement in the past couple of weeks about uh, Blackstone acquiring ACC. Uh, so I want to just kind of get from you guys, what, what do you think the landscape is going to look like in the next three to five years for the industry, both from you know finance and investment side and also what, how does that impact things on the operations side? Well, I, I forgot to pack my crystal ball, um, <laughs> but you know, my own take on things is Blackstone didn't spend $13 billion to stop there. So certainly they will continue um, to be an active aggregator. What's interesting to me is to see the intersection between an abundance of capital across the globe chasing the student housing sector with increasing interest rate co- interest rates uh, increasing construction costs, more difficult to get development deals done, um, and owner operators really not having an interest in selling. They really have an interest in recap. And I don't know when that collision happens, what happens as a result of it, but it seems to me that there's a lot of conflicting influences, and I just I don't know how it plays itself yeah. out. But there is an abundance of very large capital sources chasing the sector right now with a more finite amount of opportunities than probably has been historically, especially because you just took off, you just took out, you know, the largest, yeah. you know, uh, aggregated portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I don't, I'm not sure um, what's going to happen. It's such a weird time. Really. There is so much stuff going on in our economy and in the industry that it's, it's hard to predict. I do think the Blackstone thing was good for ACC, you know, and I and I'm happy for a lot of my friends over there. I think it'll be a good uh, good for them, and I think it'll be good for the industry uh, as a whole. I'm pretty certain of that. Um, to your point, I mean, there's just a ton of money in the space. I think um, you, know, you know the cap rates on conventional are even tighter, so I think there's that's 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 bringing interest into it um, as a place to put money. I think the word recession that you hear out there. You know, they talk about student housing being recession resilient. And so I think there's an interest. I, I think you're going to continue to see cap rates stay compressed uh, for a while. Um, and I still think that, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of folks are recapping, but, you know, the, the cap rates are so compressed that I think a lot of owners are going to try and find a way to to capitalize one way or another on those prices. Um, but, you know, I think, uh, you know, for us, we'll stay you know, opportunistic on acquisitions and third party. And I think it's going to continue to be there. So, you know, from an M&A standpoint, it's, isn't it almost inevitable? It's going to just continue. I mean, you're going to eat or be eaten. Yeah. Uh, But the good news is, I mean, from a day-to-day standpoint, you're going to continue to do the best you can, provide an excellent service to your clients. And then you're going to be rewarded on either side of the food chain. So it really doesn't matter. Yeah. Okay. If you just focus on what you need to focus on, uh, it's a really good feeling, right? Yeah, I've told 
uh, people a lot of years, it's good to be in operations because somebody's got to run the properties one way or another, regardless of what happens. But yes. So uh, let me, uh, let's talk about development over the next three to five years. Uh, you know, it's development has obviously taken a little bit of a step back through everything. Uh, again, kind of, I mean, we know what projects are coming out of the next, you know, three to four years, but beyond that, what, what do you see happening? You think it's going to be more P3 versus private development or? Man, uh, development just seems like it just keeps coming. So I, I don't, I don't really have a good crystal ball on that either, but, uh, um, I would think they're going to keep building as long as they can still, you know, sell deals once they, once they build them. Well, I think the underwriting is going to certainly be constrained for development deals in the next two to three years. Again, interest rate costs, exit cap rates. I don't know whether they can press or not. Depends on but, the cap rates, right? Yeah. Um, but even development costs, supply costs, um, labor costs, put a lot of pressure on that that underwriting. It's interesting. One thing, and it'd be interesting to get your guys' perspective, but a phenomenon that is out there within our sector. It doesn't get a lot of press, and I don't know how much it really is happening, but um, multifamily buyers that are buying underutilized, or not even underutilized, but student housing projects and converting them to multifamily. And nobody's tracking it. Um, ergo, an opportunity for somebody to start tracking it, but um, nobody's tracking it, but certainly it's having an ever so small impact on micro markets, not on a macro yeah. market, but on a micro market basis. And I'll give you an example. We manage in um, uh, Murfreesboro, Middle Tennessee State. Yeah, we had a Jim and I had a conversation about that recently with CREI taking that property. It, there's been, and I don't, I'll, I'll get this wrong, but no less than three to four properties that have been converted, and so turn that around the other way. Now, is there not a development opportunity yeah. in Murfreesboro for st- purpose-built student housing project that wasn't there beforehand yeah. because it was a over maybe an overbuilt yeah. student market? So it's just interesting and it'd be, it's fascinating to follow that and how much of an impact it will have on selected micro markets. It's, it's a real thing. It's out there. We're seeing it as well. And it goes into what we were saying before. There's just so many different odd things happening that are out there that I don't think any of us have ever really seen before. We've got a student property at UNC Charlotte that's doing that. And I'm seeing it more in those, you know, urban tight markets is that i mean because obviously murfreesboro is just a nashville it's a nashville yeah is that is that where you guys are mostly seeing that conversion is it's where it's hot i mean conventional's hot regardless and so it's just kind of an offshoot of that i think you know as bob says it really is market driven uh the purdue market for example uh, very strong school very very strong enrollment a really good president and they're just uh they're still coming on with new with new supply so you know i see those really a separation of the strong versus the not so strong markets. Sure. And that's really going to, uh, you know, drive the, uh, the supply, of course. Uh, is development in the tier two, tier three, is that washed up at this point, you guys think? Uh, in our experience, uh, COVID, I mean, obviously the tier twos, tier threes have, have bigger challenges anyway uh, in terms of filling them up and enrollment. But uh, the tier two, tier threes have struggled with enrollment more than the tier ones. And yeah. so... I would think at least for the short term, I mean, I'm hopeful that they come back to at least what they were previously, but that's, if there, if there is any struggle, that's where you're seeing it. So I would have to think, hope that that translates to development slowing down there as well. 
we've got a big population decline coming in that age group. And to get back to your point earlier with the underwriting, I don't know if these underwriters understand that or not, and how that's going. I mean, it's not going to it's not going to impact the flagship universities right. for sure. But um, yeah, I'm really concerned about these tier two schools for sure. So let's um, let's talk about the university side of it and potential challenges and issues that maybe you guys see that they're going to be dealing with, you know, in the near future that this industry, our industry, the private side of the, uh, of the industry can, can help them with not necessarily just P3s, but you know, other initiatives. Any, any thoughts on that? It seems like matriculation is becoming more unpredictable. Uh, we're seeing, uh, like no interest in master leasing, and then all of a sudden, three months later, just beating our doors down, okay? And by that time, it's too late. So I think it's just very hard for them in regard to capacity utilization on the on-campus housing segment when they really don't know who's going to actually come. Yeah, and COVID's been tough for the universities right. for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. yeah, every time I talk to a new – or not a new, but every time I talk to a um, anybody on the administration side, but especially if they're – in on campus housing, res life, it's just, it's, they've got so many war stories that it's just unbelievable. And, you know, I know, I know we've been dealing with it on our end, but to hear some of these stories and obviously some of the politics that are involved with it as well, it's just, uh, yeah, there's a huge amount of folks that are leaving that, that industry. Some of them are finding themselves in, in privatized student housing. Some of them are just leaving. I think you know outside of you know the business the business side of things but definitely challenges that I think the universities and we're all facing is just kind of kind of mental health in general uh, big issue we hear about it all the time I think that you know today's kids are more likely to you know to say that they have mental health issues some of that might just be because it's okay to talk about it but uh, I think the articles will tell you, you know, just the online experience and all everything that goes with that and you know, maybe not having the ability to cope with things quite as so much that uh, we just seem to see an uptick in issues and, and you know. Those, yeah, does, that, does that relate to more training that we're going to have to provide? Yeah, to our I, folks I, I think that we can be better. Uh, we can be better as a company. I think we can be better as an industry. It's something that we've really focused on. I mean, we don't have the big res life you know, in most of our departments, like back in the old days when you had a whole team of people do that, it's just not the way, you know, the, the current housing is, is underwritten. But I think we can do a better job of preparing our folks, you know, for what to do, really probably getting better use out of the on-campus resources that are there and just just promoting mental health awareness in general. I mean, I, it's just one of those things that you just, you just keep hearing about. We just keep hearing even... You know, it's horrible, unfortunate news within our own portfolios, and I'm sure we all we all see it at different times. So that's it, just one of the things that comes to mind. It's great that you bring that up. It's um, you're right. There's been an uptick in those type of issues across our portfolio, and it's and it's too it's really too early to talk about this, but I'll talk about it anyway. Um, that there's a, a small group of operators that will expand to the large group of operators to really pull together a coalition for the sector to be focused on mental health for our residents. And yeah. So that's something 
Let's put it on your calendar. Maybe yeah, yeah, four yeah, months. Wes, that's not so, that's something that's not a competitive issue. It's, it's just not. A, it's not an it's an issue that we all just need to be focused yeah, on. Jen so. Casty brought that up in the recent shop talk. Um, I'll wake up earlier too. <laughs> it was, yeah. That, that's that's exciting. I, I love hearing that. That's that's coming together. So and it impacts our people internally. Sure. That's I right. Mean, th- that type of activity and yeah, sure. Uh, just really hard on them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, back to the university side, I mean, the fundamentals haven't changed, which is, um, you know, kids don't want to live in university housing. They want to live where we live. And universities really don't want to be landlords. And so from a big picture macro standpoint, I don't think those fundamentals have changed. I think it's going to be interesting to see if any of the really small tier three universities actually shutter. You know, it depends on who you talk yeah. to. Some anticipate a lot some anticipate fewer i I just it's hard for me to conceive that you actually see you know such and such university go out of business i mean it's kind of hard to wrap my head around that but you know there's quite a bit of people predicting that they will yeah i think there i think there probably will be some casualties from that standpoint I, i have been encouraged to see a lot of the hbcus how they've weathered through this and a lot of them had you know, positive enrollment growth. I mean, obviously there's some things, you know, happening from a, um, uh, you know, from, from a public funding standpoint that that's helping with that. Um, you guys get any more calls on these days on helping out HBCUs versus other four-year universities? I, I, I wouldn't say anything in particular yeah. one way or the other. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. So uh, next thing, you know, most of our audience um, uh, is not necessarily the audience here, but <laughs> the, the, uh, the regular listening audience um, are site level managers. And, uh, you know, I hear from them quite a bit. You know, Wes, I've been in this for five years, been in it for eight years. You know, I, I think I like this <laughs> and I just want to know where I can go with it. And, you know, do... Yeah, and they just start kind of asking questions, and we talk about what they, you know, what they like, what they don't like. But I wanted to kind of pose that question to you guys. I mean, what do you, what would you, you know, tell that site manager that's listening that is, you know, they've had some successes and they want to see, you know, where they can go with this? What kind of advice would you guys give them? It's funny. I get asked that question all the time. That's what everybody <laughs> wants to ask and turn, you know, wants to, wants to know internally. And, and it's great because uh, people are ambitious and they're looking to grow their careers. By the way, I tell most of them, by the time we end up with the conversation, they realize they, they really like being on site Yeah, and they wouldn't be good in you yeah. know, a traveling position or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Discourage <laughs> it. Right. No, I think, um, you know, it, it's, it's uh, three things come to mind. You know, first off is some patience. Uh, not in the sense of, you know, this is something where you got to wait your turn or anything like that. This is a merit-driven situation. Going multi-site, and if we're talking about GMs to regionals or something like that, is hard. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I've, had, I've never, I mean, I've, I don't know how many regionals I've worked with, and I was a regional myself. I've never heard anyone say that it was easy their first two years, and I've had seen quite a few fail. And so I think that sometimes people try to, um, you know, they'll get somebody that'll give them the opportunity to take that next level, and maybe they're just not quite ready yet. And they think they're fast-tracking their career, but they're really shortchanging it because they go out there and they fail. And uh, nobody wants that. And so it's just, it's when you can be the smartest, smartest can be and, and, and maybe future, you know, CEO of a company, 
But in this business, you still have to have a little bit of knowledge to be able to go to that next level, uh, to be able to take care of it. I think that um, there is a, this is maybe, uh, you know, people won't appreciate, there's a sense of entitlement out there sometimes about, you know, okay, I've, I've been a GM for a year and I did a good job, so I'm ready to be a regional. Yeah. And, um, you know, it just doesn't, we're not entitled to anything, you know, in what we do, it's all merit driven. And so you got to go out there and prove what you're doing to folks. And, you know, if, if, you know, the worst thing I hate is hearing somebody that comes to you with that kind of, it's, it's my turn now I've done it. I've worked for a while. And so I think that's uh, you got to get rid of that, any type of entitlement thought process. And, uh, and lastly, I'd say, and this is big, the people who really grow quickly are able to change their perspective to be that of their supervisor and maybe their supervisor's supervisor. GM's perspective is different than a regional. A VP is different than they have different purposes. When you can understand what your boss and your boss's boss is doing, what they're thinking, what's important to them, and still understand yours but understand why that is, those are the people that go up. A lot of times you see people get promoted and they still got a GM state of mind when they're trying to be a regional and it's not the same thing. Yeah. So. I don't think we need to overcomplicate this. Um, you know, old-fashioned work ethic is, is a really good thing. If, if we could, like, manufacture that, I think there'd be a market. Uh, <laughs> we, we have this thing called humility, integrity, and accountability, okay? And if you really think about those three things, if, if you're in an environment that exudes those things, you're going to want to stay there in that, in that company. And to use an overused word, uh, communicate, okay, whether it's one-on-one or face-to-face or picking up a phone or even when you're writing concisely and with clarity and maybe with an action point, okay, and then follow up on it. Really simple, right? Uh, if we could just get our people to have a base level of business acumen, just, just that understanding, kind of like you're talking, Jim, uh, and, you know, use data, but don't let data use you. Mm. You know, that discernment and that, that judgment to separate you from the masses. Because there's, there's, there's data out there. Yeah. You know, there's abundance. And, um, and you know, just work for a great company. It's, don't think about starting compensation. Think about career compensation. Okay? And, you know, a really, you know, a company that's going to pay you whatever you want might be a really bad company because that's all they have to offer is a dollar and the dollar is the easiest thing to give yeah. from a company from a leadership standpoint so career compensation well thankfully they didn't answer it the way i would but i <laughs> agree 100 percent with what you each said uh, i had three thoughts as well one is i think everybody at whatever level really needs to focus on their leadership skills. You want a bigger job, you need to be a good leader, period, end paragraph. If you're not a good leader, you're not gonna get moved up. Just doesn't happen. So you've gotta focus on leadership. Um, what I say inside of Peak is you need, to f- you need to be focusing on improving your leadership skills every day. Um, and uh, every day you need to be, get better, you need to assess what you did that you know, you inspired people and what you did that you kind of fumbled. You got the look from somebody that, you know, you just didn't do it well. Um, second, I would, I tell people all the time that your career won't go in a straight line. They don't go in a straight line. And the best thing you can do is maybe make a lateral move to a different property or a different market or a bigger property or whatever, but you're still an on-site GM, but you've demonstrated success and you're creating a legacy of success that gives you the ability to be more ready to be 
a, a regional manager. And then the last thing I tell our folks that I think is a under-trained, under-focused skill is focusing on one's personal brand. Um, it's fascinating to me that people come into meetings without a pad and a paper and mm. I'm sitting there exuding all this brilliance and they're not <laughs> writing it down. And uh, it baffles me how they can remember what it is that we're talking about. And I'm writing it down, but they're not writing it maybe down. Maybe they're recording you. Uh, well, maybe, you never know. But I think, you know, um, what I do within side peak i'm watching all the time when we have company meetings or opportunities i'm watching what people say i watch what they don't say i watch what they eat i watch what they don't eat i watch what they drink i don't watch what they don't drink i watch um you know what they wear what they don't wear and it's creating a constant update of my perception of that individual and i think people take for granted that just because i do a good job i'm now entitled because i i got my property to 98 percent um, but maybe that was a layup. Maybe, well, no, it's never a layup to get 98%, but maybe it was easier than it could have been. Um, but you're not necessarily selling your personal brand the way it should be sold. I so. like that. That's a good point. I like that. That's a good point. So I, I'm going to ask you guys one more question since we've got a little bit more time. This isn't one I prepped you for, but we do have in our live audience here, we've got a lot of vendors and, and, um, service and, and, product suppliers and I'm always interested from your perspective you know what is it that you see in uh, you know that our industry is really struggling with right now that maybe they can provide a solution for um, any thoughts on that well we we enjoy uh, turn that process is great there's plenty of time that time of year so we don't need any help there <laughs> yeah it's interesting you say that, though. There are some, some good programs that are out there right now that 10 years ago didn't exist. Everybody, we were all making it up ourselves or copying each other's yeah. <laughs> programs. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, so there, there's some good stuff out yeah, there. We're trying something. a new one this year. So, I mean, I think the only thing I'd say, and, and this is not going to be a, a, a wonderfully um, specific answer, but it always feels like in real estate, real estate and especially student housing, we're always lagging on the technology curve. And maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe there's an abundance of technology out there and, and we're just missing it or whatever. But it just seems to me that there, there, there always can be, you know, there always can be more technology offering to create more efficiency within, you know, within our operations, within, uh, within student housing. Yeah, and, and I think there's been a lot of it over the years where they've tried, but they've they've missed the mark. I mean, students different, and we are small, although not as small as we were compared to conventional. So it's just hard to get people in there to make the investment. Yeah, to make the investment. So we're always on the tail end of that, but we're starting to see some stuff. So, so I've got to go to a roundtable here in a little bit, and the topic is if a recession is coming, what can you do to increase ancillary income and and cut expenses? Any, any thoughts I should give to the <laughs> whoever attends by a round table for that? Did you say cut expenses? Cut expenses, yeah. Okay. Or, or at least. It yeah. won't, be on, uh, won't be on labor. Yeah. Well, if you do, um, if you have any ideas on ancillary income, you shouldn't wait for the recession. You should do those now. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's tough. I mean, you know, we, 
you know, I'd say, I guess we went through this in 09, what have you. Uh, and, and like we said before, it really wasn't that bad for student. It was different. The timing of the lease up was different, what have you. But I think it goes back to, you know, what we were saying about uh, COVID. I mean, you just got to hunker down and you got to, you got to guide your, your, your team through that. And, um, you know, cutting expenses is, you know, you do it when you can, but you know, that's a, that's a double-edged sword, right? When you get into that. So look at a student housing P and L the largest expense is payroll. Mm -hmm. And in the last 10 years, staffing levels have largely stayed the same. Um, but our, our, you know, part-timers have become, you know, FedEx delivery people because of, you know, all the FedEx packages that are now quadrupled Mm -hmm. or whatever. And so, on the margin, I you know certainly there's always opportunity to save expenses, but I'm not I'm not sure that there's an abundance. What I'm really interested to see what happens is this year, at least within our portfolio, I'm sure yours as well, it's unprecedented rent growth across the student housing sector. I don't think we'll ever see a little bit of catch up, but yes, a little yeah. bit of catch up. That's yep. fine. But what happens? You know, it, right. what you know? How does it reset next next yeah. year? So it is going to be interesting because there is a recession coming. I, mean, yeah. I, don't know, I think there's a little doubt that there's going to be some level of recession uh, across the U.S. And it's just going to be interesting to see how that impacts rental rate growth, especially after this year, um, and all the other pressure on on supply costs and, and labor costs. Yeah. So, it, Wes, it could go back to your M&A uh, point. Okay, maybe, you know, consolidation and, and mass and uh, spreading that you know, the high cost overhead over more, over more beds is really the answer. And maybe recession will force that. Yeah. Jim, do you have another point there? Um, I did, and it was brilliant. Uh, <laughs> and now it's escaped, it's, right? It slipped my mind for the moment, yes. <laughs> well, no, I think, I mean, we'll just expand on that a little bit, um, just a little bit more here in the last couple of minutes. But uh, anything, you know, from an investment standpoint, that, that you're hearing from folks, you know, with, uh, you know, the rates going up, the things happening from a geopolitical standpoint that are putting pressures on everything. Is there something in the next, you know, two to three years that you guys feel like could could really impact impact us in a negative way from that standpoint? Gosh, yes. Uh, who knows? What What I would say is given – the amount of capital chasing the sector, it will unlikely result, it will likely result in people overpaying. They're gonna make mistakes. And here's what's happened over the last five to seven years is all the underwriting that was done poorly in the last five to seven years, and certainly there's been abundance of that. uh, It's been saved as a function of cap rate compression. And and so that's not going to happen in the next two or three years. So a pro forma that was put together in 2019 that was wrong, that was overstated, you know, too hot, it's not going to get saved in the next two or three years for that sponsor to sell that deal because cap rates are going to be above what they underwrote. There's no question. Well, and and this doesn't really answer your question, but the reality is when we talk about recession – and, uh, and what you're talking about, it can actually create a tremendous amount of opportunities, right? Yeah. And so, it, unfortunately, to your point, Bob, it's at the expense of somebody that, yeah, quite frankly, paid too much. Yep. But we've been through that cycle before, and we've seen that the folks that have the ability to buy 
um, you know, during those times when those, those problems arise can sometimes, you know, get some really good opportunities out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think about all the CNBS stuff that was written right after the great recession mm-hmm. and that stuff's coming up on their 10 year maturity dates. Right. And between now and say 2025, 2026, it's going to be interesting if they, if they haven't recapped on that stuff, you know, what's going to happen. Um, if all this kind of comes together, so I think you're trying to scare us. Well, I, these are kind of these are things I think about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really do. Three a.m. is so, the best time to yeah. dwell on that. <laughs> well, guys, thanks so much for for taking some time out at Interface. I know you guys have got a ton of meetings and a lot of things you guys are trying to accomplish. But thanks so much for for spending time with our audience and and giving your perspectives and. You know, if there's anything Student Housing Insight can do for your companies and, and to help you guys promote what you're doing, please let us know. But thanks so much for being here today. Thanks, Wes. Thanks. Thank thanks, you Wes. very much, Wes.